Okay, thank you so much. Um, uh, hi, everybody. This is Moral Marijuana Addict. Um, my first time at any phone meeting, so hopefully um, I will figure out how this thing works. It's kind of neat. Um, my sobriety date is July 15th, 2017. Um, and um, I've been pretty active on, on the Zoom format the last, you know, two and a half years. Um, and before that, I used to go to some in-person meetings. Um, but um, anyway, I'm glad to be here. Um, I guess I will start from the beginning, you know, what it was like and what happened and what it's like now. Um, so uh, my my story has a lot of um, cross addictions in there um, and relapses and um, also very, very, you know, decades of me um, being stuck in, in different addictive behaviors that finally led me to Marijuana Anonymous a little over five years ago. Um, so pretty much from the beginning, um, I had a lot of anxiety mostly, even when I was very young. I think the first time I had what I now know was a panic attack, I was around six. And I didn't know what it was at the time, but it was just really that pit of your stomach um, anxiety where I felt like I was crawling out of my skin and um, I didn't really know what it was, what to do with it. Um, but most of the time, you know, things were okay. Uh, my family um, came from, you know, um, the, uh, the Middle East um, when I was little and I do have some memories of war and kind of the trauma of that. So, not sure how much that was related to it, probably some, um, but I think things kind of got even stronger, you know, with the anxiety and then depression crawled in about my teenage years. And pretty early on, um, I, I had an unhealthy relationship with food, um, specifically, you know, ice cream. It always seemed to make me happier than if I didn't have it. So, um, you know, I think the first time I got my hands on, on some alcohol, I was about 11-ish. And I just remember for the first time um, having all my anxieties just disappear, you know. And I thought, whatever this is, this is great. Um, and, you know, pretty soon, you know, it, it, you know, my, my parents are very strict. So it's not like I grew up in a household with um, alcohol or drugs around. But any opportunities I had uh, for for changing the headspace and how I felt, I took advantage of it. So, um, you know, there was, you know, a good amount of, you know, drinking until I was 21 years old. And then I had, you know, free reign at that point. And, um, you know, it wasn't uncommon for me to go hang out in the bars three, four days a week with friends. And it was all a lot of fun, you know, as it would be in the beginning. But even then, I noticed that I just drank differently than my peers. Um, you know, they would have a couple and then wait and then maybe have one more and then they'd stop. And I never understood that. You know, I would drink until I was either blacked out, passed out or thrown up. And um, it didn't seem like it was an issue until, you know, 
people started growing up, you know, they were, you know, people were graduating school, getting jobs, you know, maybe having families and they wanted to be responsible people. And, you know, I couldn't understand why they didn't want to keep going out to bars, you know? And so it got to the point where, um, I had a lot of dissatisfaction with my, my career path, my life, where it was going. So by my early thirties, I was doing a lot of drinking by myself. Um, and what started with beer and wine eventually, you know, got stronger and stronger where, um, the consequences of, of that kind of behavior, um, started popping up, you know, um, you know, not remembering how I got home, the physical issues, you know, like my, my body was just rejecting the alcohol. And, you know, weed has always, weed was always around, you know, I always had it, you know, I never really liked it that much. It made me paranoid, you know, but I always had like some, and maybe some friends would be like, Hey, can you get me some weed? You know, this was the nineties. So you had to know somebody who knew somebody. So weed was always around, but it was never my thing, you know, I liked alcohol, but as the consequences of alcohol started coming up, um, I, I'm, you know, the options were basically to stop drinking, which in my head was just not an option, you know, so I intentionally cross addicted to weed. I thought one morning I'm like, well, I can't drink like I want to but I can't deal with my feelings and emotions, you know, and it was just like, what about this medical marijuana? Maybe it'll fix my problems, you know, and by this time it was, you know, 2006-ish, there was dispensaries popping up. It wasn't that hard to get the doctor to write you a script for it. So, you know, for the first month or so, I'm like, okay, you know, and it was almost like a chore. It was almost like getting on a diet. It's like, okay, now I'm, now I'm going to come home and I'm going to load my bowl. And within like three months, I was smoking that weed alcoholically, you know, from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. And it was such a quick addiction that it took hold. And the only thing I could like, you know, relate to in the big book that is like, this is a progressive disease. You know, when I first started drinking, it was very controlled. It was very planned out and in social environments. 20 years later, you know, even a different chemical, which I switched to marijuana and my addiction had progressed to the point where I became almost an instant weed addict. And, um, you know, in the beginning, it, it helped a lot. In the beginning, it really, really fixed a lot of issues. So I thought, oh, my God, this is the holy grail. I found, you know, what I've been searching for. And um, and I did. I used it for about two or three years, and things got better, and I got my life together, and um, I started a business where I could kind of work for myself and you know, I got myself out of the living situation I was in that was not good for me. And really things were going well. I was even paying off debts because I had a budget and I had a budget line specifically for the weed I was buying. So um, things were great until they weren't, you know, and eventually, you know, the highs were not the way they were the positive effects were not there all the negative stuff started happening all the anxiety and the depression that that 
pot was helping for me to keep in check started getting worse and worse. And it got to the point where I was smoking so much weed without getting high that I was just having all the side effects. So when I did have a panic attack, I couldn't even calm myself down. And um, that's when I went to therapy and um, she suggested at the time, you know, hey, maybe you should check out some AA meetings, you know, when she found out how much weed I was smoking. And I'm like, in my head, I don't need AA. I had a drinking problem. I was an alcoholic, but I got through that, you know. And I mean, you know, in my head, the alcohol problem was cured, even though I was smoking alcoholically now. But luckily, I knew people who used to go or who had come to AA in the past. And um, so I knew there was a program. And, you know, as bad as alcohol had gotten, it had not brought me to the point where I thought I needed a program. But marijuana did. You know, marijuana killed my soul the way nothing else had ever, you know. Um, Alcohol was poisoning my body physically, but, you know, I was used to physical pain. But what marijuana did is it killed, killed my soul, and I was just an empty shell of a person, and that I didn't know how to deal with. So I came to my first um, Marijuana Anonymous meeting, um, and I was really nervous, and I smoked weed all the way there, and I'm sure I walked into the room, and I probably smelled up the whole place, and people were just super welcoming, and I heard my story, and um, I felt really at home, and I kept going back, I kept going back, and while I was still going back, and I was abstinence from marijuana, I did on occasion think that I could drink here and there, you know, especially if I was out with friends and it wasn't me drinking alone. I justified it in my head. And um, pretty soon I realized that um, I wanted to go back to, to marijuana because the whole point of me switching to marijuana in the first place was to curb my drinking. It, it made no sense. So I got completely sober off everything for four months. And um, I have a stubborn streak, so I wanted to do it my way, and I wanted to do sobriety on my terms. So um, I, you know, lasted in that four months of complete sobriety, and then I was back out again, and I was back out for another year. And uh, at first, I was able to control my use, you know, just on weekends and then just on evenings, but within three weeks, it was back to nonstop morning, noon, and night. You know, there was no controlling. And I stayed miserable for a whole year before I came back to the rooms, you know. And I did this two more times. You know, my life got really, really bad. I got really in a dark place. And I kept coming back. And I just couldn't wrap my, you know, one of the biggest hurdles for me was I was a staunch atheist. And this whole higher power business was just something I couldn't wrap my head around. And um, I dug my heels in, tried to do it my way again, you know, and I'm like, well, I'll take this part of the program, but I can't accept that part of the program. And, you know, I lasted a few months more both times and back out for a year every single time. And it was around um, May of 2017, and I was out at uh, some celebration and I had 
drank and smoked and all this other stuff. But, you know, in my head, like, it was like, it, you know, I was controlling it to a certain degree. And, um, and I started driving away from that event and I just realized, oh my God, I am so wasted. So I pulled over and waited and waited, you know, for a few hours on the side of the road because now I can't drive home. And uh, sure enough, I, on the way home, I got pulled over for no, nothing I was doing, but it was just, you know, maybe it was my God shot. I got pulled over. Um, I had my vape pen at this point in the car, um, but luckily I didn't have any flowers, so it didn't smell like um, weed in the car. And somehow after the the cop tested me and did whatever, um, he let me go. And I just remember driving home going, I don't know if I was past the limit or not. You know, it was probably borderline at that point, but it was a God shot. Like, you keep this going and bad things are going to happen. And the last two months was just like, like I was spinning out, you know. I was smoking so much more weed than I ever have. And all the side effects were getting really bad to where I was starting to misuse my um, anti-anxiety meds that the doctor had given me. And I knew that I was going, I was going past a certain point that there was no going back if I went down that path. So um, beginning of July of 2017, I told myself, okay, I'm going to, wait until my my belly button birthday which was the 23rd and I was going to smoke as much weed as I wanted to without limits and then I was going to go back to program because every time I came back to program my life got better my head got better and um for two weeks I just went to town I couldn't smoke anymore my lungs were just popping out of my chest and I just kept doing it and kept doing it And I didn't make it to my birthday, (laughs) you know, I was just so miserable that on, on July 14th, I finished everything that I had and I came back to program July 15th. And, um, at this point I was desperate enough to say, you know, walk into the rooms and say like, whatever these people tell me to do, I'm going to do it. And I was just, I was, I was just, you know, broken. I was gone. And I, came in and people that I'd known in and out, they didn't judge me. They welcomed me. They're like, good to see you. How you been? And I knew I was home, you know, and this time I had to do something different. You know, I knew that I had a history of relapse. I knew that I tried to do things my way. So I had to do things your way, you know, and that's what I did. I became willing to be willing. Um, I eventually found a sponsor, started doing step work, and it came to steps two and three, you know. And um, I knew that I had to find a power greater than myself if I was going to stay sober for anything more than a few months. And, um, you know, all I knew is that the book said, look, you don't have to say yes, you just have to stop saying no. And I did, you know, open-mindedly, I just, you know, did did the step work. I did the answers. I did what my sponsor told me. And by the time I was done with step three, you know, she looked at me and she goes, um, you know, you don't sound much like an atheist. And sure enough, it was like, I figured out what this, 
higher power businesses, at least for me, you know, and it's not the, the God that I was raised with. It's not an angry punishing God. And I can't even describe what my higher power is to somebody else. I don't know. But all I know is that there is a presence in my life that is greater than me. And I can turn things over. And if I just get myself well and my head out of the way, my life is better, you know. And um, what my life is like now is um, it's full of peace. It's full of serenity. It is full of um, sanity because I was pretty insane, you know. And a lot of the insanity was me just spinning out within myself. I wasn't out there causing insanity to the world, but I was causing insanity to myself and in my life. So, um, you know, my life is better now and my, my anxieties are are almost non-existent. I'm very rarely depressed and I'm on nothing. I'm on no medication. Um, it's just that I had to realize that what I needed was not something, not was not a chemical I could put into my body to make me better. It had to come from the inside. And that's where I feel my recovery is. You know, it's um, my relationship with the higher power. It's the 12 steps. And it's just coming to meetings. It's being of service. You know, I have a lot of commitments. Um, I've had a lot of commitments. I currently have a, a lot of commitments uh, within the within the district that I I you know belong to. Um, and I do I, I do a lot to you know keep myself connected to this program because I know that if I stop coming to meetings regularly, if I distance myself, the temptations are there. It doesn't matter if I have five years because I only have today. And um, you know, I know how easy it is for me to relapse and I know how, where my life is going to go if I do. And there's been times in the last five years that I've been tempted and things have happened. Life happens, you know, life is not always, um, you know, great and peaceful and happy. There's life happens, you know, and there's been times where I've been tempted and I just sit back and I play the whole tape forward. You know, I visualize how a relapse would look. And, um, you know, I'm grateful to my relapses because that's ha- that's helped me know what my life will be if I just give in. And in those times when things are challenging, um, I just hop into usually a Zoom meeting, but if I can, an in-person meeting. And now that I know these phone meetings are, you know, um, out here and available, just come in here and just basically tell on myself, you know. Um, I've got cravings. I'm thinking about maybe I should reconsider it, putting marijuana back in my life. And just the, just being there with my fellows and telling on myself is usually enough for me to, to hop off that meeting and just go to bed again that night sober and deal with tomorrow, tomorrow, because it's just the one day at a time program, you know. And I just have to worry about today, today, and I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Um, so just to, you know, if you're a newcomer, um, wanted to just kind of talk about the steps because those have been instrumental for me um, in my recovery journey and 
one of the things my sponsor told me is that the relief is found in the steps. So, you know, the first 10 months or so when I was just basically white knuckling and coming to meetings and staying sober, um, you know, I, I wanted the relief that the steps promised me. And I finally started working with a sponsor and she didn't rush me through the steps. Um, it took me two and a half years to finish the 12 steps because I felt like I needed to basically live in the steps and take my time and, and, and get it. You know, it wasn't like a class that I had to rush through in a semester. It needed to become a part of my life. And, um, you know, step one, you know, that's the most important step in the way that, you know, we're all here because of step one. We're all here because we are powerless against marijuana in all its forms and our lives are unmanageable. You know, we wouldn't be here if we didn't think that there was something with marijuana and unmanageability in our lives. Um, so that's the only one that we, you know, we always say needs to be done perfectly. And it's not that the answers need to be perfect. It's not that the, the reading needs to be perfect. It's just that if um, I ever questioned having any power over my marijuana use or being able to control it, then I'm at risk to relapse. Well, I have to know that I'm completely powerless against it. And I've proven that by relapsing. So I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing for me. Um, and steps two and three, you know, um, it was really important for me and important for those of us that um, have, you know, atheist beliefs or agnostic beliefs. And I just had to stay willing and be open-minded. And like I mentioned, you know, I just stopped saying no and just did the work that was assigned to me and, by, by the miracle that this program is, um, I have a higher power now. And um, sometimes I call that higher power God. And it does not af affect my atheist mind to be walking around saying the word God. Um, because it's not, you know, the societal God to me. Um, you know, step four, step four was challenging for me because um for the first time in about a year and some some months, I actually had cravings to use as I was working through making that, you know, um, inventory because it was like a bunch of, you know, wounds that I had to basically reopen. And um, it was necessary for that to happen because I needed to, you know, make peace with a lot of it. And interestingly enough, as bad as I felt, working on the list, step five was where the transformation happened. You know, when I went through that list with my sponsor, you know, um, you know, we admitted to ourselves, God and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. I actually walked away from that meeting feeling so much lighter and that I really had started making peace with my past. And, um, you know, this journey has led me to actually love myself, whereas when I first started um, down this path, I used to not even like myself. I kind of hated myself. And 
as I took this journey, I started to learn to love myself. And in order for me to love who I am today, I have to love the journey that's brought me here. And um, so because of that, because of steps four and five, I've learned to live my life without any regrets. And I've got, I had plenty of things to regret in, you know, 20 plus years of um, abusing drugs and alcohol. But right now I, you know, because I've done the step work, because I have some recovery behind me, I live my life without regrets. You know, this is the journey. This is the path that I'm supposed to be on. Um, six and seven, you know, um, that's when we look at our, you know, character flaws, defects, some people call it, you know, something a little less negative, but it's just kind of looking at what keeps us in in our attic minds and what we want removed and maybe what we want to just appreciate and alter a little bit, you know, and, and ask, ask higher power to remove those things. You know, um, I've been told, you know, in program that we don't remove, we can't remove our character defects. We just ask higher power to remove them for us. And that comes to the whole turning it over, um, turning it over to God and, and taking our self-will out of it. So I took my time doing six and seven. I really looked at my character defects. Some of them were not necessarily bad. They were just allowed to run awry and I needed to maybe ask higher power to kind of tame it down a little bit, to compress it a little bit, you know? Um, and, um, you know, eight and nine, that's when we, that's when we, we, you know, clean up the wreckage of our past, you know, and, and, you know, when I did step eight, I had to remember to make that list without, there being a step nine, because if I had to think about how I was going to do this and that and how I was going to make the amends and how uncomfortable it was going to be, that list wouldn't have been thorough enough, you know? So I had to put that aside and do step eight. And with the help of my sponsor, we were able to narrow down step nine, you know, for step nine, I narrowed down that list and then it was pretty thorough. And as I made the direct amends for people, every direct amend I made took one bit of weight off my back, you know, and there was some amends that couldn't be made, you know, the people were nowhere to be found or maybe they've passed away or whatever, but I was able to make living amends with those. And sometimes I would just write a letter to somebody like I was going to give it to them and just, keep the letter or burn the letter, but it was some way for me to get it out there into the universe, even if it didn't go directly to the person that the amends was owed to. Um, So by the time I was steps 10, 11, 12, you know, those are the maintenance steps. And I try to practice those regularly. You know, Um, I, try to meditate. Meditating still tough for me, but I try to get in a few minutes a, a day, but I wake up every morning and, and I have a gratitude prayer. You know, I, I pray to higher power and that's a really weird concept for me as an atheist to wake up in the morning and pray, but it's just a short little gratitude prayer of just being grateful for a handful of things, you know, regardless of 
how bad my day starts out, there's always small things I'm grateful for, you know, just a roof over my head and a bed to sleep in and food in the fridge, you know, doesn't have to be anything grand, you know, if I have work that day, grateful for the work I have that day. And it just starts me off on the right foot, you know, it starts my day focusing on what I have rather than what I don't have. And the one thing I've learned with um, my prayers uh, are that I don't make a list of what I want higher power to give me. It's not like this laundry list of higher power, please give me this and that. I always end the prayers with, you know, I only pray for knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry that out. Because that's also part of me turning things over to my higher power. And you know, getting my self-will out of the way. Because I know if I keep listening to my self-will, I will be where I was until five years ago, is like stuck in that turmoil of what addiction was for me. So, um, you know, and and step 12, you know, step 12 is is invaluable, you know, and, and sponsoring other people has been so important for me because there's been times where I wanted to give this up and I'm like, why am I doing this? You know, life is too short to try to walk this path completely sober and feeling everything that life is forcing me to feel. But having sponsees keeps me grounded, keeps me connected. And um, when you see the handful of them, like, get that bright light in their eyes like I did when I was working the steps, you know, that's like a gift that is, you know, there's no price that one can put on that. So, you know, it's really, really important that we give what was given to us in order for us to keep it. And um, sponsoring is one way to give it, give it forward. But, you know, to newcomers, people who have not finished the steps, being of service. You know, you don't need any sobriety time to take service commitments, being the timer, being the coffee maker, um, being the greeter at at meetings, um, whatever there is to do. It's being of service and giving back and staying connected. You know, that's kept me coming back and kept me sober, you know. And, you know, the last two and a half years with everything going on and, you know, much of the time of being disconnected from other humans, you know, I, I doubled down on fellowship and I kept, went to Zoom meetings every night and it kept me sane while the whole world around us was falling apart. It kept me sane. It kept me sober. Um, and it helped my days go better. You know, it's like the fellowship, you know, there's like, I've got friends, I've got normie friends from many, many years ago. Um, but but the people in these in, the, in these rooms they understand me they are me so if there's something that's happening in my life that is related to my disease and I call one of my normie friends they'd be like just stop doing that but when I call you guys and I tell you guys you get it you're like yeah I know it's hard to stop doing that I get it you know so um, anyway so. You know, I'll start wrapping up, but um, the one thing that I have adopted in my life um, as, as a result of getting sober and is this attitude of um, more of a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. You know, a lot of times we have these 
limitations in our heads of what we're capable of doing. And we kind of let those guide us as we move forward. And I just decided that I could do anything I wanted to do as long as I was willing to do the work. And um, in recovery, I have become um, very interested in physical activity. And I was basically, I call myself a recovering couch potato. Um, I didn't want to ever do any kind of exercise. And now I push myself. And it's one of the things that has helped me even stronger in staying sober and keeping my anxieties and my depression is that I integrate physical activity in my days, whether that's walking, biking, lifting weights, um, anything that I, you know, um, can, can enjoy. And I push my body and, um, it's been amazing that I know if I was still smoking weed, there's no way in hell I could keep up with it. You know, I could barely breathe some of the times and the asthma was really bad. And I kept smoking saying, it's going to make my asthma better. Um, and now, you know, my, my anxieties, depressions are under control, my lungs function. And I even started taking gymnastics for the first time in my life, you know, and um, I just have no limits on what I can do. And I think it's, that's, that's because of the program. That's because of the 12 steps. That's because of, um, finally realizing that that marijuana was holding me back and not helping me in any way. So um, if you're new, just keep coming back to meetings and um, when you can, you know, um, find a sponsor, find somebody that has what you want and um, work the steps. The relief is in the steps. And um, that's all I have to share. Thank you for asking me and um, thank you for letting me share.